does anyone here have a special talent? Does anybody? Special talents? Anything unique? Darby can wiggle her face like a rabbit, which is like special. Yeah. Yes. Really? That's a town. Caden's <laughs> like, how can I get out of this situation right now? Like, so embarrassed, right? Anybody else? Special talents? Um, Christian tradition teaches that in addition to the talents you are born with, you are given spiritual gifts when you are born again. And unlike your talents, these aren't dependent on your DNA or your experiences. Um, in addition to being our counselor and our advocate, in addition to the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit bestows unique gifts upon students of how Jesus lived and loved. The Spirit equips us to continue the work of Jesus in the world. And every follower of Jesus has at least one spiritual gift, but sometimes more. Sometimes it seems to change throughout your life, but you have giftings from the Holy Spirit to equip you to do the work of Jesus in the world. Now, while every Christian is called to pray and to give and to serve, to become like Jesus, to love mercy and justice and share about him with those around them, we don't all have the same role to play in Jesus's kingdom objectives for our world. Um, not all of you are called to start churches, but some of you might be. Not all of you are called necessarily to speak up here or to play, but you're called to do something. And some of us are called to do some of these things. We all have some spiritual gift that fits into God's kingdom design for our world. Now, these spiritual gifts are described throughout the New Testament. If you just read through the whole New Testament, you'd see these all over the place. But they're primarily mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and a brief mention in 1 Peter 4. We're not going to talk about Ephesians 4 uh, today. It's one of my favorites. I gave you a handout on it. I encourage you to take it home. It's in your seat and read over it, pray about it, think about how God has equipped you with these giftings. But today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to dig into it a little bit more. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. What is it? Is it like superpowers? Like, what does it look like? How does it practically play out in our lives? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He's writing a letter to this church at Corinth. Corinth was a crazy city. They had accepted the message of Jesus, become followers of Jesus, decided they wanted to live and love like him, but they also did a lot of crazy other stuff. They got into all kinds of sexual depravity, they were getting drunk all the time, and they were just kind of like a really messy, messed up church where you'd walk in and you'd be like, these people are crazy. And so Paul is writing this letter to correct some of their wrong thinking. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. You worship false gods. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So there were some people in their midst who were standing up. They'd gather on Sunday, and somebody would be like, I've got a message from God. Jesus is cursed. And Paul's like, that's not a message from God. That's a message from somewhere else. If I ever stand up here and I'm like, Jesus, what a terrible guy. That's not a message from God. You should kick me out, you know, throw me out on the street. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord that we are serving. There are different kinds of work, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work in us and through us. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
The Spirit doesn't give us these gifts for our own glory. You know, he doesn't give us these spiritual gifts so we can start a really cool YouTube channel and attract a lot of attention to ourselves. It's for the common good. It's for other people. To one, there is given enough or given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. But they're given by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Holy Spirit. To another, miraculous power. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To have, like, discretion. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each of us, just as he chooses. So, while not specifically defined as spiritual gifts in the Bible, there are some other abilities and capacities that have been considered as spiritual gifts by Christian groups and denominations throughout time and history. Um, these are found in the New Testament, but many times are not specifically called gifts by the gifts from the Holy Spirit by the New Testament writers. These include things like celibacy. Um, some Christian traditions hold that celibacy is a spiritual gift, the ability to choose to abstain from sex and to live a life devoted to God. Some say fellowship, that some people are just gifted to build fellowship and build community. Others say some people are gifted to just create a hospitality and create like places where people want to be and feel safe and welcome and wanted. And some others believe that there is a gift of intercession where just some people, have you ever had somebody and you're like, if somebody's going to pray for me, I want them to pray for me because when they pray, something happens. You know, sometimes I pray and I'm like, is anybody home? Like, it didn't seem like it did anything. But you know those people in your life where you're like, when they pray, the earth seems to spin differently. You know, like, I really want them to pray. Some people believe that's a spiritual gift, that they just have this special intercession, that they just, prayer is like where they're gifted. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is credited with giving people certain abilities, including craftsmanship. Uh, it says in Exodus 35 that the Spirit of God came on people and made them into better artists to create things for the tabernacle. So some type of artistry and craftsmanship. Um, there's also the interpretation of dreams in the Old Testament. In both Genesis and in the book of Daniel, the Spirit of God is said to give insight into dreams. And then uh, there's also mention of the Spirit um, spiritually gifting people to create spiritual music, poetry, and prose. So now you have a rough overview of the spiritual gifts of the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know what we're talking about. And so you're probably wondering, what's the purpose of these gifts? Like, why were we given these? Uh, these gifts are not given to bring glory to yourself, to draw attention to yourself, to help us make money, you know? It's not like the spiritual gift of, like, making more money. Um, they are not even given to make our pursuits in life easier. Anybody remember James Bond? He's still pretty relevant. People know James Bond, right? Um, remember Q in James Bond? Okay, so Q was the guy who would give him his gadgets. And so he'd be, they're like, James Bond, this, something's going to blow up. The whole world's going to end. And he's like, I'm going to take care of it, you know. And then they're like, stop in to see Q. And Q would be like, here's a pen. But if you click this pen, it blows up. Or here's a watch, but it also has a laser in it. Everybody know who I'm talking about? Q. A few people. Okay. I thought James Bond was pretty relevant, but I guess not. Anyways, he, he gave Bond gadgets to fulfill the missions he went on. The Spirit gives you spiritual gifts so that you can fulfill the mission that you've joined when you became a student of how Jesus lived and loved. Now, 
in a James Bond movie, when Q would give him a watch with a laser in it, I'd be like, I bet at the end of the movie he's going to have to use that laser. Or when Q would give him a pen that you click three times to blow up, I'd be like, I bet at the end of the movie he's going to use that pen. Or in one of the more recent James Bonds, he gave him a tiny little radio, and he's like, this is stupid, I'll never use this. And Q's like, you might, and guess what? At the end of the movie, he had to use the radio so that they knew where to come and find him. He's given certain gadgets in order to accomplish the mission. And we are given certain gifts in order to fulfill the mission that we've joined in as we follow Jesus. So this raises naturally another question. What's our mission? Like, what is the mission we have joined as we've chosen to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Remember the goal of the Christian life. If anyone asks you, like, what's the point of being a Christian? What's the goal of the Christian life? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Let's say that together, okay? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. I spent the majority of my entire life in church, and I could not tell you what the goal of the Christian life was besides don't do bad stuff know a lot of Bible, attend church. Uh, But the goal is actually be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And the mission the Spirit is equipping us for is the mission of Jesus, to carry on what Jesus did. The Spirit wants to carry on the mission that Jesus started through us. The Spirit equips us to do what Jesus did. So what was the mission of Jesus? Throughout the Gospels, these... um, These narratives about Jesus's life and death and resurrection and ascension. Jesus primarily talks about the kingdom. He saw himself as a long-awaited king, and he saw his mission as recruiting people out of the crumbling kingdom of darkness and inviting them to become students of his way of life, an invitation into the kingdom of heaven. But this mission also had practical, immediate application as well. Jesus didn't roll into a village and see sick, suffering, poor people and say, the kingdom of heaven is great. Come join it. Bye. And leave them. What did he do? He fed them. He healed them. He touched them. He hugged them. He ate dinner with them. He had meals with them. Uh, It not only had this futuristic view, but it also had a present, immediate application. The mission had a practical, immediate application for everyday life. His kingdom would be a place of healing, a place of unity and love, and so he spent his time healing the sick, eating with outcasts, and making time for nobody. So, quick recap. When we become students of how Jesus lived and loved, we are being invited to continue carrying out his kingdom mission. What was his kingdom mission? To rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and work toward, work toward a world that reflects his vision for human flourishing. The Spirit equips us with spiritual gifts in order for us to fulfill our unique destiny and Jesus' kingdom design. And that means both inviting people into his future kingdom and at the same time working in our present to make this world like his kingdom, like his vision of what human flourishing looks like. So let's talk about destiny and purpose for a minute. Like, 
great things to talk about, right? Um, we love to talk about destiny and purpose, especially millennials and younger generations. Like, we love to think, like, we're here for a purpose. We matter. We mean something. Our life's not just something to throw away. We're here to change the world, and those are good desires. And a lot of people ask me about God's will for their life, especially when I pastored down in Tennessee. Constantly, young people would come up to me and they say, what is God's vision and plan for my life? And I think that this is the wrong question because it imagines that God has drawn up this plan for you to follow through life, and then he's hid it from you. Like, here's exactly what I want you to do and who I want you to marry and where I want you to go to college and everything I want you to do, but I'm not going to show it to you. Like, that's kind of how they talk about it. Um, and I think that looking at it this way misses a point. God isn't making a plan for your life. He is making a kingdom plan and inviting you to make your life part of his plan. In our individualistic society, we often wonder about, like, what am I going to do for a living when I grow up? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? How many kids am I going to have? Like, what are their careers going to look like? We're obsessed with our personal futures, but the biblical authors grew up in a completely different culture. They were in an Eastern culture. They were in a culture of community that thinks so differently than our individualistic culture in the West. And this is how they viewed their role both in society and in the church and in God's kingdom as part of a community, not as an individual destiny or identity, but as part of a community. They were part of a group project. No one in Jesus' day took a gap year to find themselves. I'm not against gap years. I think they can be really good and helpful. But they found their destiny and their identity in community. Your spiritual gift is not designed to encourage. Um, your spiritual gift is designed to encourage and support other Christians as they learn to live and love like Jesus. Your spiritual gift is designed to draw spiritually hungry people to Jesus. Your spiritual gift is not about your personal fulfillment. Even though I find that many times, as I serve others and I serve God, I am personally fulfilled. So at this point, you're probably wondering, how do I find out what gift I have? Anybody wondering that? Does anybody feel confident? Like, I think I know what my spiritual gift is. Most people don't. Like, you just go anywhere in a church in America right now and say, does the Bible talk about spiritual gifts? Yes. Do you know what yours is? No. Like, it's, it's pretty standard. Nobody really knows, and they're like, hmm. The Bible talks about this, not just in one passage or two, but actually four or five, and then sprinkled throughout all of the New Testament. So how come none of us know what it is? Growing up in evangelical churches, um, there was some wild stuff, but they would hand you this extensive questionnaire. Really, it was like taking a, the SATs. Yeah, it was a lot. And it was like filling the bubble, you know. Um, it really felt like you were in school taking the SATs or the ACTs. Um, and you would fill in all these questions, and at the end there was a key. And it's like, well, if you answered this way, this is your spiritual gift. If you answered this way, this is your spiritual gift. And if you ask, like, I want to find out my spiritual gifts so that I know how that I can be a part of the kingdom movement of God in the world, they would give you this big questionnaire and tell you to fill it out. The only problem with this, none of the New Testament authors, when they talk about the spiritual gifts, are like, hey, in 1,500 years, they're going to create this, uh, or in 2,000 years, they're going to create this questionnaire, and then you'll be able to figure out what your spiritual gift is. None of them say that. Finding your spiritual gift is not like finding your personality type. 
It's not like finding your Enneagram number. It's not like looking up your horoscope. One of the problems with the questionnaire is it was developed by large denominations in order to get people to volunteer in their churches. And so you would fill in all these bubbles, and then it'd be like, you need to serve in the nursery. Or it'd be, you'd fill in all these bubbles, and it'd be like, bring more food to the potluck. Make sure it's the pastor's favorite food, you know? And you're like, hmm, this seems very one-sided to benefit the programs and the ministries of the established church. Um, the spiritual gifts were designed to build the kingdom of God, not necessarily build a church's programs and ministries. Another problem with the questionnaire is it reveals what you think your strengths are, not necessarily where the spirit has supernaturally strengthened you. You mark down... I have a natural talent for music. I've played instruments my whole life. And the questionnaire is like, you have a spiritual gift of music? Join the praise band. You know, get up front and praise. Um, and that might be the case. But it might just be that you have a natural talent and not a spiritual gift. Uh, many people have told me that my spiritual gift is probably teaching. And I think that's probably true. But when I first started teaching the Bible, I was a crazy, shy introvert. I would sit in the back row in church, and um, it was a church about 300 people. I'd sit in the back row, and my goal was to not talk to anybody. They had a handshake time. I hate handshake times in churches. We will never have a handshake time. But they would have this handshake time where they'd be like, everybody stand up and shake someone's hand. And I'd be like, I don't want to shake people's hand. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to make eye contact with people. It was a good Sunday if at the end of the service I could sneak out without talking to anybody. Because I was a shy introvert. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to go in, worship God, and then, like, melt into the dis you know, and just get out of there. Um, but I went away on this retreat, and I felt keenly God calling me to begin to preach. And I remember thinking, like, this ain't right. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. Uh, you should call someone charismatic, someone cool, someone who likes to talk to people. You know those people, when they walk into the room, you're like, they're cool. He could talk about paint drying, and I'd like to listen to it because he's just a cool guy. No, that's not me. Uh, and I remember going to my senior pastor at the church, and I said, God has called me to preach. And he, he, I just felt this keen awareness that that's what God wanted. And then some people out of the blue said, have you ever thought about preaching? And I was like, what? It was just such a weird weekend where clearly God was directing me to do this. My senior pastor looked at me. He knew what kind of, like, shy introvert I was, what a weirdo I was sitting in the back and, like, hurrying out as soon as I could. And he said, I think you heard wrong. And I was like, I'm sure about this. Like, I know that God told me. Um, if he had asked me right there to fill out the questionnaire on spiritual gifts, my teaching gift score would have been zero because I didn't think I had any strength there. But I insisted that I had heard from God, and he said, okay, you're going to preach the very next Sunday night. They had church Sunday morning and Sunday night. So I put together this message, and it was a message about swords, swords in the Bible. What a stupid message, right? You know, I brought in swords on stage. I had, like, a collection of swords at home, and I talked about different swords in the Bible. And I was like, look, look at these stories of God's miracles and God being with us. And I used all these examples of swords from the Bible. As a, now as a seminary graduate, I'm like, what a terrible sermon. Like, this was terrible. This is, like, textbook bad. You know, what was I thinking? I brought all these swords on stage and I was like waving them around. But despite the strange topic and my terror, I was so terrified to get up there. I literally thought I was going to pee myself on stage. And I remember the whole sermon just thinking, don't pee yourself. You're so nervous. Don't pee yourself. The 300 people out here, 
don't pee yourselves. Um, but despite my terror and despite the weird topic, I preached and somehow the spirit moved and people realized I had no natural talent for teaching. Nothing on paper said, oh, this guy's going to be a dynamic teacher, but something supernatural, supernatural happened when I spoke. God didn't call someone who was charismatic and loved stages and spotlights. He didn't call someone who the questionnaire would have said was a good teacher. He called someone who wanted to hide in the shadows, who wanted to go unnoticed, and he supernaturally equipped me every time I speak, whether it's here, it's a small group, or whether it's been in other churches where I've spoke before, big crowds, I remember this same thing. This is something I don't have a natural talent for. This isn't something where I'm like, yeah, this is my space. I like this. I feel good about this. I'm supernaturally gifted to do this. Because nothing in me would choose this, and yet someone other than me has chosen this for me. And I feel his pleasure when I act out my spiritual gifts for his kingdom and you, just like me, have a spiritual gift. And it might be in a place where you actually think that you are naturally weak. A place where you think you don't have any talents. It might surprise you and shock you. Or you might, after a while, realize it and say, oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. So how do we find out what it is? If we can't take the questionnaire, how do we find out what it is? I think part of that is ask the Holy Spirit to show you. The Holy Spirit is not an idea. He's not a force. He's a person. If he gave you a gift, ask him about it. Ask him. Then start trying some things that might be uncomfortable or new and see what happens. Um, before I felt this call of God to preach, I just got busy doing where, whatever I could wherever I saw a need. Because I was like, I don't know where I'm supposed to fit. But I'm going to, if I see it's something that needs to be done, I'm going to do it. And I served in lots of different ways around the church. I started serving in lots of different ways in my community. And I just tried to do whatever I could, wherever I could. And then, as you begin to do these things, finally seek the wise counsel of other followers of Jesus who know you and have seen you serve. Over the years, I've had more and more people say, you probably have the spiritual gift of teaching. You probably have the spiritual gift of teaching. Now, that in isolation, without me trying some things and seeing how the Spirit of God has worked, and without me asking, I don't think it's enough, but all three together, I think that you can find where God has equipped you to build his kingdom. I find that God doesn't often speak to the person doing nothing, the person simply waiting for a sign from God before they move. He speaks as we move. Or as Jesus said, seek and you will find. Not sit still and you will find. Seek and you will find. Okay, so the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to here had a problem. They had begun to rank the spiritual gifts. They were like, oh, you have the spiritual gift of prophecy? That's good. That's a good gift. That's better than the spiritual gift over here of um, faith. Or, you know, you have the spiritual gift of tongues. That's the best gift. And they began going around and making this ranking system where the speaking in tongues was the greatest gift and every other gift was less than that. And so some people were faking speaking in tongues because that was the one that got you all the attention and that was considered the best. And Paul is frustrated and he's writing them and he tells them, listen, every gift is necessary. All the gifts build off of each other because they're all designed to be used in community. 
No gift is useful on its own. It only works when we all work together. And this is part of the problem when people attempt to follow Jesus outside of any church community. They're attempting to have an individual spiritual experience when all the New Testament writers saw the Christian faith as a community experience. I hate group projects in school. Anybody hate group projects? Yeah. Darby loved them. You know why? Why do you? Yes, because I'm the one with the A, straight A's, and I wanted the group project to get a straight A, and everyone else in my group was like, Alex will do the work, so they didn't do anything. I hated group projects, right? But becoming like Jesus is a group project. You have to move at the speed of the group. You can't leave people behind and just trek out on your own. Now, I know, you're like, well, Alex, of course you say that. You're a pastor. You want people to be part of a church. Like, you need people to come. Like, of course you're going to say that. And I get it. There are terrible scandals in church. There are toxic people in churches who say and do hurtful things. But Jesus gave us no other way to follow in his footsteps. How did Jesus live his life? He went on a road trip with 12 people who had everything uh, uncommon between them they had nothing in common like he picked up a zealot who wanted to overthrow the roman empire and a tax collector who worked for the roman empire in the same group that he traveled around in he had conservative jews and more progressive jews in the same group going around with him he just it was all kinds of people that shouldn't work together and he said this is the way we build community dan white jr says bad churches and bad pastors get all the press but in almost every community, there is a small, simple, unsexy gathering of Jesus followers that will never make headlines. And if you've had bad church experiences, look for one of these small, simple, unsexy churches uh, that are gathering and teaching people to live and love like Jesus. I hope, I think that's what Horizon is. Like, we are small, simple, unsexy gathering of people trying to learn how to live and love like Jesus. Paul goes on, without community, your spiritual gift will be squandered. It'll be wasted. It'll be never used. Notice what Paul says in the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 22. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He's saying your body is not made all up of feet, right? You have hands and feet and arms and eyes. If the foot could say, I am not a hand, therefore I do not belong to the body, it would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I'm not important, I'm not part of the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, you would never smell anything. Paul's like laying down the deep truth here. You know, if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? The slow pace. But as it is, God has arranged the members in our body, each one of them as he has chosen. If we were all a single body part, what would the body be? As it, were, there, as it is, there are many parts, yet we make up one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And some of us think, man, I don't play in the music i don't stand up and speak like am i really that important yes every one of us are critically important you don't cut off part of your body and say well we didn't need that part every part of us is 
important because all together we make up one body and we each have unique roles and functions and giftings. You need your fingers and your toes. You need your eyes and your ears. You need your mouth and your head. Like, you need it all. We need each other. Like a foot is useless without a body, we cannot expect to become people of peace and agents of love without a community of people both encouraging us and challenging us and sometimes just annoying the crap out of us. It's, is it easier to go alone? Absolutely. You, if you just go alone and say, man, I'm just going to figure out this Christian thing by myself, you will avoid weird, awkward, annoying people that way. But you will not become a person of peace and an agent of love. Because that's not the way that Jesus exemplified for us. He gathered people who were from completely different backgrounds, who shouldn't have got along, and he said, we're going to walk this path through life together. You can listen to sermons, and you can read books, and you can learn a lot of things about the Bible, but Jesus didn't die to make you more knowledgeable about spiritual things. He died to create, in Dallas Willard's words, an all-inclusive community of loving people with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Anytime our vision of the Christian life does not include a community of loving persons, each acting out their spiritual gifts and using their giftings from the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God, we have lost the plot of Jesus. No community of Christians will ever be healthy while followers of Jesus are not being equipped to live out their spiritual gifts. You have a divine destiny. It's not by accident that you live at this place and this time, but it's a divine destiny that isn't just about you. It's about God's kingdom and other people. The church needs you to be complete and healthy, and the kingdom needs you using your gift to spread the good news of Jesus and extend his mercy and justice throughout the world as a taste of what his full kingdom will be like. At Horizon, we want to help you find your gift. If you don't know it, don't feel bad about that. Like, 99% of Christians in America would say the same thing. But we want to help you find it. And part of that means serving to find out where the Spirit supernaturally moves in you. And part of that means being known in the community well enough that others can identify the Spirit's gifting in you. It's really hard for us to say, we've seen this in you if we never see you. There has never been, and there will never be, ever again, someone exactly like you, with your, uni with your unique set of talents, experiences, and spiritual gifts. But that is not a testament to how incredible you are. That's a testament to how incredible Jesus is, who made you to know him, to become like him, and to do what he did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings with him when he enters into our lives. And God, I pray that you will reveal people to people in this room, watching online, what their spiritual gift is. And that they'll find this out as they begin to think about, like, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I advance the kingdom of God? How can I invite people? far from God to encounter him. Lord, I pray that you will reveal the unique way you have gifted them and equipped them to carry out the mission and the ministry that you started 2,000 years ago. And God, I pray that you will surround people with people who really know them, who don't just see them at arm's length or from a distance, who know them well enough to say, this is what I think your spiritual gift is. Lord, may 
may we be encouragers who come alongside people and say, I see this in you. You may not even see it in yourself yet, but I see a gift in you that I want to help you develop. God, make us a community, an unsexy, small, simple gathering of people learning to live and love like Jesus. And I pray this all, I believe in Jesus' name.